I'm so glad that Mike and Beth mentioned how important affirmation is to healthy marriages. Um, I'm mindful of Gary and Barbara Rosberg's The Five Love Needs of Men and Women. The Five Love Needs. And one of those love needs is simply the need for spouses to encourage one another. Encourage one another. Listen to just this brief paragraph. Uh, Wives, encouragement means reminding your husband that you believe in him and that he can make it through the stresses that seem overwhelming. It means cheering him on when he tells you how the younger guys at work seem to be pushing for his job or threatening stiff competition. It means reminding him that you would marry him all over again. Encouraging, encouraging the heart. Husbands, it means affirming your wife's potential and telling her how valuable and important she is as a wife. It means having a smile on your face when you walk in the door at night. It means telling the children how important your wife, their mom, is. The power of encouragement. What is it that drives the power of encouragement? What is it that drives this power of affirmation? The Proverbs writer tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's what drives our need for encouragement. That's what drives our need for affirmation. Our need to be strengthened spiritually and emotionally by the words of our loved ones. The tongue... The tongue has the power of life and death. And this is where I think James is heading when he speaks to Christians 2,000 years ago about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue. And that's where we're going to be heading today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn uh, to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. It's on page 855 of your church Bibles. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And James tells us about the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue to give life. The power of the tongue to take life. And you'll find James 3... Again, on page 855 of your church Bibles, your navy blue Bibles in the church pouch in front of you, or it's up on the screen. Listen to what James writes in 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue It's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil 
among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James 3, 1 through 12. This is God's word. And James gets right to the point in these Verses, doesn't he? I mean, James basically says, to put it in a nutshell, James basically says that whoever controls your tongue is going to control your life. Right? Whoever is master of your mouth is master of the trajectory and the direction and and the, the destiny of your life. You control your tongue. And you can control your life. That's what verse 2 is all about. If, you've never, if you're never at fault in what you say, you're a perfect man, able to keep your whole body in check. And what we're going to see here as we look at these verses is, is the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue over life and death. But then James is going to give us some news that we'd really rather not hear. And that is, is that, the pow- that there, is, there is a power of evil that has infected and, and, and is influencing your tongue and my tongue in a way that hurts ourselves and other people. And, and then, then he's going to leave us with the question, so who's going to take control Who's going to take control? So let's, let's look at the power of the tongue here. Let's look at the power of evil over the tongue. And then let's look at the question. Let's listen to the question. Who's going to take control of our tongues? First, the power of the tongue. Do you sense that here in verses 1 through 5, didn't you? How James talked about the power of our speech, the power of our mouth, the, the power of a tongue in a way that is disproportionate to its size, this, this, as one pastor put it, this two-ounce slab of mucous membrane. as <laughs> a total guy illustration. All right, there's more to come. This, this two-ounce slab has the capability of directing the course of people's lives. I... I uh, you know who Scott Adams is? He's the cartoonist who draws Dilbert, right? And uh, listen to what Scott Adams wrote about the power of someone else's tongue in terms of directing his life. Listen to this. Scott Adams wrote, When I was trying to become a syndicated cartoonist, I sent my portfolio to one cartoon editor after another and received one rejection after another. One editor even called and suggested that I take art classes 
Then Sarah Gillespie, an editor at United Media and one of the real experts in the field, called to offer me a contract. At first, I didn't believe her. I asked if I'd have to change my style, get a partner, or learn how to draw. But Sarah believed that I was already good enough to be a nationally syndicated cartoonist. And Scott Adams wrote, Her confidence in me completely changed my frame of reference and altered how I thought about my own abilities. This may sound bizarre, but from the minute I got off the phone with her, I could draw better. I mean, you you can see a marked improvement in the quality of the cartoons I drew after that conversation. Now, that's what I'm talking about. The the disproportionate power of the tongue to influence the course and trajectory of people's lives. And James talks about this in verses 1 through 5, specifically in 3 and 4 and 5. He talks about bits in the mouths of horses and rudders that small metal slab can direct An aircraft carrier. Bits and rudders and sparks. Small sparks can set a huge forest on fire. This disproportionate power of the tongue to direct the trajectory of someone's life. And we know this because the words that we speak... when we speak words, you're, when I say open your Bibles, you're just not doing the phonetics of by bull, by bull, by. A, a picture comes to mind. And pictures may come to your mind right now as I say these words that, that hit your heart. Words like, I love you. Words like, Daddy. Can you feel that? Words like, You have pancreatic cancer. Do you feel that? Words like, I want a divorce. Feel that? A woman works behind the counter of a welfare office. And in front of her, a a disheveled, hollowed... uh, person who hasn't shaved in three or four days comes in a ratty coat and the woman says sir I I'm to process your claim I'm gonna have to I need your address man says what she says I have to have your address what's your address he says I don't have an address she says well I have to have an address where do you live and he says in the park Do you feel that? You feel that? The tongue is small. Oh, but it 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 alters the trajectory of people's lives. Um, uh, Beckner. Beckner was a pastor who wrote about the time in his life when he decided to enter into the ministry. And he had a conversation with someone about this. And the conversation went something like this. This person walked up to him and said, Well, uh, Frederick, I understand 
that you're wanting to enter the ministry? And Beckner said, yes, with a smile. To which the person said, is this your own idea? Or were you poorly advised? You feel that? You feel that? That's why James says in verse 5, the tongue is small. It's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And, and I think that's why James enters this entire conversation with verses 1 and 2 when he says, not, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, where did that come from? I mean, here we are talking about trials and then listening and doing in chapter 1 and then favoritism and then, and then uh, you know, putting our faith to work. But then in James chapter 3, all of a sudden, it's just like out of nowhere. He says, not, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Huh? Where, where, where did that come from? Why, why is all of a sudden he saying this? Why, why does he mention this? Well, think about it. Think about it. James is writing to his church. And his church has been scattered because of persecution in Jerusalem to the extent that they're no longer in Jerusalem. In fact, they're having to meet in in little groups outside not only of Jerusalem, but Israel. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're experiencing persecution not only racially by the Romans because they're of Hebrew ethnicity, but they're also experiencing faith-based persecution because they're Hebrew Christians. So the Romans are persecuting them because they're Hebrews, and the Hebrews are persecuting them because they're Hebrew Christians, and, and now they're just kind of feeling like they're kind of huddled down. And, and, and you know when you're going through a trial? You're going through a difficult season? You come through the four years here at church, and come in here and we look around and we see someone else's life and someone else's marriage and someone else's situation. And what's the temptation, church? The temptation is to think, well, I wish I had their, and you fill in the blank. I wish I had their job. If I could only have their job. If I could only have their marriage. If I could only have their home. If I could only have their and apparently James got wind that some of these Christians that from his congregation, they're, injured, they're out scattered and they're going, I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of going through trials. I can do it for a weekend, but this thing isn't letting up. The pressure's on. And so the temptation is to think, oh, I wish I had James's life. I wish I could do this. I mean, you know, I wish if I had that, my life would be a whole. And James says, not so fast, not so fast. No, no, no. You, you, you see someone up here who took a shower this morning and has got a starch shirt on, and that's all you see. That's all you see. And by the way, it works both ways, right? When I'm having a pity party about what's going on in my life and my situation, and I look out and I say, well, I, I, I wish I had your life, and, you know, I wish I could have, you know, your life begins on Friday night at 5. Well, mine's just starting, and I didn't get to watch the game last night, and, and my mother told me this morning who won, because I... <laughs> right? Want to call the ambulance? Really? James says, not so fast. 
You don't. We just see a small slice of people's lives. And you don't know. And, and, and James says, if you, if you think that you're gonna, your life is just automatically going to be better because you're aspiring, you just don't know. First of all, James says, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why? Well, because the teacher ought to know the Word a little more, a lot more, and therefore is accountable to what the teacher knows. You see, and some of these Christians 2,000 years ago, instead of being Christ-driven for the glory of God and the good of His people, some of those Christians 2,000 years ago were need-driven for self-affirmation and self-gratification. And they were more concerned about having their ego stroked than having God's glory promoted. And, and James says, no, 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 not so fast. Listen, listen. No. We who teach will be judged more strictly. God evaluates every message that's proclaimed from this pulpit. Everyone. He's, he's evaluating now. And the elders are too. And thank God that we have a godly team of elders who are committed to making sure that the senior minister of the church is preaching and teaching God's word and that the pastor's life is in line with the truth of the gospel. And thank God that we have a team of elders who do not hesitate. Do not hesitate to speak the truth in love to any of the ministers. You see. So James says, you know, no, but no, no one is perfect, verse 2. You know, we all stumble in many ways. You know? So... So let's just cut the I wish I had your job stuff. Not, not many of you should teach. Uh, but some should. Some should. And some of you should. Some of you should take responsibility. Some of you should speak up. Some of you should understand that you have a sphere of influence, a sphere of spiritual influence that you can employ and engage where God has put you. Because God has put you as a, as a pastor of your particular flock so that others can know of God and Jesus. And, and, and when you assume that responsibility, James says that you're not only going to be teaching about the power of the tongue, but you will, you will be shepherding those you lead not only about the power of the tongue, but the power of evil over the tongue. How in our fallen, sin-infested world, the tongue has been affected. It stains and chars and scars. And that's what we see in verses 6 and 7 and 8. Oh, how dangerous the tongue is. There's also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And Tyler uh, wrote a novel called Saint Maybe in which she tells about a character whose name is Ian. Ian mistakenly thinks that his sister-in-law has been unfaithful to his brother. She, he mistakenly thinks that she's cheating on her marriage to his brother. 
and he's wrong, but he tells his brother anyway. And his brother becomes so despondent over this incorrect information that his brother takes his life. And in the novel, Ian's guilt haunts him to the degree that he prays, God, how long do I have to pay for a handful of tossed off words? Can't we just back up and start over? Couldn't I have one more chance? And you know the answer to that question. The answer is no. Because we do not tether our conversations. We let the words go. The Hebrews understood this in their culture. They believed that words were like arrows. And once they are launched from the mouth, they are irretrievably launched. And isn't that why in the book of Genesis, when Isaac had mistakenly blessed Jacob instead of Esau, Esau is, Esau wails. This grown man wails to his father and says, Have you, father, have you but one blessing for me? And no, he doesn't because the word's already left. The word's already left. They already did their, the words leave your mouth and they hit the target and they stain the target. And that's what James says in verse 6. It corrupts, that word literally is stains. It stains the whole person. And do you see that word hell in verse 6? The word hell in James in verse 6 literally means garbage dump. See, that's where they burn the trash outside the city in Jerusalem. And so the tongue is a place of fire and filth. Garbage-drenched words burn from the garbage dump. And then suddenly James changes pictures on us, doesn't he? He's talking about, he's talking about animals, he's talking about ships he's talking about horses he talks about the dump now he talks about he talks about uh really it's 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 ironic our ability to subdue the animal kingdom is self-indicting we are better at pacifying lions and tigers and bears than we are our own mouths all kinds of animals verse seven birds reptiles creatures are being tamed and have been but no man can tame the tongue It is a restless evil. That word restless refers to a a, a wild animal that's caged and it's pacing back and forth, back and forth, waiting if it didn't have the bars there holding it back, you see. It's a caged tiger ready to strike, James says. And then verse 8 concludes with that phrase, full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Walter Wangerin. Walt Wangerin, he, um, he has a chilling metaphor about the tongue's poison. He talks about female spiders. He says, the female spider is often a widow for embarrassing reasons. She eats her suitors on the wedding night. Look it up. Her honeymoon chamber is a morgue. Wangren says, her victim appears whole, but his insides have been swilled so that he becomes his own hollow casket. You see, the female spider can't digest anything within, so she bites her victim and injects her digestive juices so that the victim's insides are broken down And they turn into warm soup. And this, here it is, here it is. 
It's total guy stuff. I'm sorry. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Work with me. Valentine's Day's coming. Okay. It better be. It better be good. Okay, I'll remember that. Let's go back. Let's let's go back to the Black Widow here. Listen. Listen to this. This soup she swills, even as most of us swill the souls of one another, having cooked them in various enzymes like gossip, like humiliation, like slander, like innuendo, a cocktail of toxic mixes. Some of us are so skilled with the hypodermic word that our dear ones continue our dear ones continue to sit and smile as though they were still alive. But they're just walking human caskets, shells whose souls have been dissolved by poisonous words. And that's why James says in verse 10, brothers, this should not be. He's talking to Christians here. I I can tell you this much. If this congregation ever collapses and dissolves, it won't be because of government oppression. It won't be because of terrorism. It, It won't be. It won't. It will be because of gossip and slander and innuendo and the hypodermic word which creates walking caskets and we come to church and we just kind of sit and smile but on the inside there's nothing but death and that will mean the death of the church too that's why james says brothers this should not be can you imagine can you imagine going home after church and and turning on the faucet and and one moment out comes fresh clean water but then the next moment out comes salt water and 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 it's like okay well which is it going to be this time and well i'll just go to the store if that's the case yeah well we can do that because we live in the midwest and we've got more water than we know what to do with but not in dry palestine when an entire village's existence depended on one spring and only one and that thing goes bad and people die can you imagine? Can you imagine? James says, you know, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? I mean, can you imagine planting corn out here in the field next spring, but then in the fall, soybeans come up? What's up with that? We might, we might say, wow, that's cool. No, 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 no. No, that's chaos. That's chaos. And, and James says, you know, God has created the natural world. God has created the world that we can see with consistency now now that consistency needs to affect our lives and our mouths and what we say the 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 power of the tongue the power of evil over the tongue but yet there's chaos you you control your tongue and you control your life But who in the world can do that? Right? 
Who in the world? James says, James says very clearly, my brothers, this should not be. Well, it, it is. It is. It happens. Hypodermic words still shoot out the poison. They do. So, so now what? Now what? No man can tame the dog. Now what? Is the answer just try harder? Is that it? Is that what James is telling us? Come on, try harder. Huh? Just, just try harder. Well, can we... we <laughs> is that what we say to alcoholics? Come on, try. You're just not trying hard enough. Huh? Really? Well, maybe I'll try harder. All right, try harder. Listen, for the next seven days, here's the tongue test. For the next seven days, do not complain or boast or gossip or run others down or defend yourself or excuse yourself and always affirm others. You do that. And if you can do that for an hour, you're a better person than I am. And if you can do it, well, but then you can't boast about it either. So, right? Yeah. So, so, see, until we come, church family, until we come to grips with how impossible it is, which is why James says, no one can tame the tongue. No one. And so, okay, well, now what? Oh, well, this is, this is where I was so encouraged when I went to celebrate recovery Friday night. And Gary talked about the very first principle, the very first principle in dealing with my hurts and habits and hang-ups. And believe me, an untamed tongue is a pretty big hang-up. And Celebrate Recovery's first principle is this. Randy, realize that you're not God. Randy, realize that you are powerless to control your tendency to do the wrong thing and that your life, i.e. your tongue, is unmanageable. Now, if it's true for the alcoholic, if it's true for the drug addict, if it's true for the porn addict... The codependent, you know what? It's true for the untamed tongue addict. James says that no man can tame the tongue. And James says that, that, that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Because his message is not, listen Randy, you control your tongue and you control your life. Well, everybody already knows that he can't. But Jesus can. So why don't you give Jesus control over your tongue? And if you will give Jesus control over your tongue then you will then have given him control over your life. And ultimately, you have to come to Christ. The Word. He's an example, but he's more than an example. He's the King. And James says this from the very first verse, doesn't he? James, a servant of God and of the Lord, King, Emperor, Jesus Christ. And when we remember who we are, servants of the king. And that mean, a servant means everything in my life belongs to the king. And that includes my mouth, my tongue. And when I look to the king, and when I look to the mirror of the word, I will remember who the king is, and I'll remember who I am. And then I'll remember to do what it is Jesus wants me to do with my mouth. And that is worship. You see that in verse 9? That's what God wants you to do with your mouth. He wants you to worship. And then as I speak with one another in the church family, and, and not just in the church family, I, I speak to one another in a way that befits who they are. 
the very likeness of God, the very image of God. Every human being, and it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or Muslim or atheist or Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. They are in the image, or the word is icon. We are icons of God. Now you speak to them in a way that befits that. And when you worship with your mouth, you will heal the pollution. So the idea is not church family, master your tongue and master your life. No, no, no. The idea is you let Jesus be master of your mouth. And he will, by default, be master of your life. And so, when we walk out of these doors, actually, when we take communion, here, the servant of the king will pray, O King Jesus, it's in Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Here's the keys, Jesus. And when you give Jesus the keys, he'll take them. And when you give him the keys, then he'll give you his command. And his command is this. Paul says it in Ephesians 4.28. Do not let any unwholesome, that word means garbage, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. But it starts with worship. Using our mouths to acknowledge the king and worship the king. And then on that basis, we love others as the king loves them.